Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I chat with Jennifer Griffin-Smith. Jennifer and I met at an event, not a virtual event, a real in-person event just a couple months ago. She's the CMO of Brightcove, which is a company that helps you connect and communicate better through video, through remote opportunities, but we met in person. And what I love about her and I love about this conversation is how open she is to change. She talks a lot about the type of CMO she's had to become over the last 10 years. That was the first time she was CMO at a company called Progress Software, which as I always say, she earned that gig almost seven years there, moving up and taking those reins and then going on, as I said, to five other opportunities, most recently this one at Bright Cove. And with that, the second part of our conversation is all about the way we engage virtually. What are those realities in terms of how you need to adapt, not just the technology piece of it, but how you have to adapt the people on your team, the expectations of an old event manager to now having this hybrid mentality of connection and ways that we can bring people together that just weren't on the table before and how that has to match the experiences we expect in both B2C and B2B environments. This is a great podcast for anyone looking to embrace change and think about the best way to go to market. Jennifer, I really appreciate you making time. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm interested in what Bright Cove does. I'm interested in your journey, including this is your sixth CMO gig. I mean, that is, you've been around and these aren't jumping around CMO gigs. I mean, you've had tenure. How do you pick your winners? Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. How do I pick my winners? I have actually had a couple of jumping around in order to get to the winners. Um, We can talk about that if you want to. I think picking the winners changes over time. And at first, my second CMO gig was really about, can I do this in any other company? I was was with my, with Progress Software for seven years. And, you know, you kind of think to yourself, am I going to be a lifer here or can I do it somewhere else? I wanted an exciting industry. It was music and video industry. It was a big role in a big team. It was another public company. Over time, though, I think my what makes a great role has really changed. And it's very much about the goal of the board and the CEO. Now, having said that, I joined Brightcove nearly two years ago with a different CEO to I have today. So a theme throughout my entire career is Definitely the only constant is change. I don't think I've ever worked for the same person for more than a year. I have been through numerous acquisitions, divestitures, mergers, new CEOs, new bosses, and you kind of just have to learn to roll with it in technology. If that bothers you, don't be in technology. I love that. You know, there's a question I want to get to, but just to summarize some of the things that you alluded to there, a lot of change, some public companies, some private companies, Maybe one thing that, that's consistent is more or so more or less the board of directors. And you alluded to having to interact with these board of directors. When you interview for roles, obviously you're going to chat with the CEO being the CMO. 
probably some other members of the team. Do you get interviewed or do you ask to interview the board yourself? Absolutely. Now I do. In the early days, um, I don't believe my second CMO role I did. My third, fourth, yeah, from then on, most definitely. It would be a concern to me if a C-suite hire was not being interviewed by at least one member of the board. Okay, so we do the same anytime it's it's a member of our senior leadership team, specifically for certain roles like a you know lead of marketing. I, and I know the questions that we would ask a candidate or that my board would ask. What is it that you're looking to understand from the board when you have that sit down with them? Yeah, um, well, first of all, there's the general, the perception that you have got so far in the interview process about the product or the service coupled with the market opportunity needs to be validated because the board is self-invested, right? Either it's a private company where they are the investors or a public company where they still have stock, right? They're still invested in the company. So you want to see if that story matches about what you've been told about the market opportunity and the product or service. But just as important to me is their belief of what marketing can do. And I think marketing has changed drastically. And I'm actually really happy that I think the perception of marketing has changed. But I'm always really interested in what do they think a CMO is here to do? Uh, because you are going to be presenting to that board. And if you're not, that's also a red flag. You know, you're going to have at least an annual board meeting. There are going to be expectations about what you're going to do. And so asking those questions and finding out the background of the board will help you understand their expectations. Interesting. I, that word change, I think about in terms of your experiences. We talked already, this is your sixth time as CMO, but you've been a CMO for roughly a decade at this point. What has changed in your mind in terms of the expectations on you at that seat today yeah. versus back when you earned it at Progress? The biggest change, and this may also come with experience, is going from being a CMO that is purely and utterly there to drive a pipeline for sales, which ultimately is our number one goal. But there is a difference between a company looking for a demand generation leader that is going to work very closely with sales and a company looking for a market leader not marketing leader, but a market leader that is going to really understand competition, positioning, strategic differentiation, everything from pricing. You find a lot of CMO roles don't have product marketing, uh, especially in bigger companies. It, I, I, if there's business units in a bigger company, it's always a challenge for the CMO. That is not where I want to be. In my role currently, for example, I have product strategy, product marketing, and pricing. Uh, I work really, really closely with the head of engineering, product management, and really understanding what does the market need, what do the customers want and need, and therefore how do we develop product and therefore a value proposition that is differentiating. The execution of all that through all the marketing mediums to me is the easy piece. What does my comms program look like? What does my demand gen program look like? But if you haven't got the upfront piece of the strategy and differentiation 
And then actually the end piece of the sales engagement and follow-up, everything marketing does in the middle is a waste. And I think understanding that connection and making sure that you don't necessarily need to own it. You know, it's, it's Software AG, I didn't own product marketing, but I did own the budget for all the heads and their program spend. I owned the overall budget, which was actually really smart because it meant I had to liaise with the head of product that had the people in his team because if there was a decision to be made on budget change, it had to come through me. And so that was, even though I didn't own the reporting line, there was a nice process infrastructure in place that allowed us to really collaborate together. So ownership doesn't just mean reporting line to me. That is something else I've learned is I, I don't really care how many people report into me. In fact, some would say the less, the better. Right? Right. But I care about the remit and scope of responsibility and the understanding of what marketing and especially me is going to deliver. I'm going to deliver to the value. That's really fascinating. And, and for everyone tuning in, just to give you perspective to the scale at which Jennifer's operating, Brightcove is a publicly traded company doing over 200 million in revenue, uh, over 800 employees. I think 50 of them report into you directly. But as you said, it's not just about direct reporting. So I'm curious if in your mind, if you were to essentially break up the time you spend with the marketing team versus the rest of the organization, some of these other groups, is there an element of blocking times in or is it an element of just making sure you don't overcommit yourself to marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. I've never thought about it in terms of time allocation because my role is so varied. What I do, And that's one of the, what I love about marketing. What I do on a weekly basis is so varied. You know, here I am, I can be talking to you on a podcast. I can go to do another recording this afternoon, but I can equally be in a customer meeting, talking about a pricing strategy, you know, talking to a PR agent. I mean, it, it just, it's so varied that it's its great. I would say that the balance for me is between managing up, that's time with the CEO and the board, managing horizontally, which is, I spend a lot of time with my C-level peers. So the chief revenue officer, the product leads, um, even the chief people officer, because we talk a lot about culture and change management and you know how we really drive strategy through the business and then time with other groups like a lot of time with a product group and a lot of time with a sales group for example are what you might refer to as internal sales inside sales bdr group whatever you want to call them they don't report into marketing they report into sales but they cannot be successful without us giving them ICP accounts without giving them the right messaging. And so I have at least two calls a week that are just with BDR leaders. And so if you look at that, you know, I have at least two calls a week that are with the C-suite. I have at least a call a week with the chief revenue officer. You know, I, there's probably an, an entire day and a half of my week that is not with marketing teams, at least. Uh, but I think that's the right mindset. I mean, as you said, uh, you are a member of the senior leadership team, and you know part of that is being able to spread your time and connect them through an organization that, again, is over 800 people. So I, I 
you know, in the experience I have chatting with CMOs at the scale that you're at, I think that that becomes more important without a doubt. Jennifer, we're going to take a short break here and then we're going to weave a little deeper into the go-to-market conversations happening with some of these groups right after a break on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I have hit on this point before many times on the podcast, but Jennifer nails it. Your team is not just the marketing team that you oversee or the marketing team you're part of. It's the organization as a whole. And in Jennifer's case, that is, as she puts it, working up towards the board and the CEO, working across with her peers on the senior leadership team, and even working across different parts of the organization. I think it's really important for us to block time in our calendar. She talked about not thinking about it that way, but my mindset always is, if I don't put time in to have those conversations, then they only happen when there's a need. And often when there's a need, it may actually be too late. You need to be proactively thinking about how you break your calendar into being available to the entire organization. The more you are, the more of a resource you are, and I assure you, the more you will continue to climb in your organization. Jennifer, one of the things that you hit on before we took a break is how things have changed. You've been a CMO for a decade, You've seen a lot of change in your own leadership, in the market. Maybe you can talk to me a little bit about the buyer and what's changed with buyers. Well, we are buyers, right? We are all buyers. And I think we forget that and think about how our world has changed. And sure, the pandemic really brought that home from a virtual point of view and needing to be able to have access to things without being in person. But I think what's changed is attention span Nobody has got the attention span they have. Nobody's got the time that they had. And, you know, from buying a car where you literally can't even be bothered to go to a showroom because I can't. Like the time consumption of that drives me nuts to, you know, I don't know that I even go into a clothing store anymore very, very infrequently. I'd rather buy it all and return it because it's all so easy. And so I think the way in which, even if it's a technical buyer, they want to self-inform. They don't want anything to be gated. Think about all of that. Who wants to fill a form in? They don't want to be followed up after they filled one form in, right? So the traditional buyer's journey for marketing, and I refer to this all the time from the classic top of funnel down has flipped to the actually it's more about really targeting with unique messages and creating advocates. And that needs different technology stack 
a different mindset of marketing resources, potentially just different resources overall to really understand the digital buyer's journey? There are so many areas that I want to dig in here because you're you're speaking a language that I love and I'm trying to figure out where to start. I always like starting with people, then process, then technology. So why don't we do that? You know, the first element you talked about has to change is people. What type of marketer on your team has been able to make that transition to sell in this more targeted account mindset and which ones have struggled? Well, I don't know if there's a defined characteristic of one or the other. I think it's about recognizing, and it's not an age thing either, right? Because yes, you do bring in younger resources who are more proficient at some of the technology because they literally were taught it. It didn't even exist when I went to college, right? So that wasn't even, I think it's the open mindset of knowing that the use of third parties that know this better is where we need to go. And that no longer are you just an events manager that is looking at locations that just like we call them producers now because most events are going to be hybrid. And so understanding that transition and having people willing and eager to understand that different journey. You know, I have a lot of people that like to go to conferences, want to self-inform themselves, come back with great ideas from other companies, that eagerness and that willing to try something new is, is what I'm looking for. That's really interesting. And, you know, without plugging Brightcove here, uh, what you do is ultimately bring events and bring video to life in many ways. And you hit on this idea of the event manager. And I think a lot of us watched event managers on our team either have to, you know, go somewhere else to another company where they could pursue that if that's what they were really dedicated to. But I've seen a lot of them adjust, become more full funnel demand managers in perhaps a very healthy push. What is kind of some of the tasks that you've been able to give some of these producers that they didn't have before? Yeah, well, an event is a great example. And so I'm actually a believer and I've seen more and more that even virtual events, people are tired of, right? What people want to do is consume content on their time when they want to do it and where they want to do it. So, and you know, no plug here, but building a channel for your business that is always on, that people can do that is what we try to do. And we try and encourage our customers to do because a one-time event is not going to, where's that content living? How can people access it? I think that there are so many people that can't always go to an event. This is what I loved about the pandemic. So in the pandemic, anybody that was very remote and I'm thinking about team members all over, all over the world, remote locations that didn't have budget or didn't have time to travel wasn't an issue. They could access their content like anybody else. A team member in Shanghai didn't feel like a second class citizen when watching an all hands call recorded in New York because the CEO was at his or her own home office and so everybody was on the same equal playing field. Nobody could go to a mall. Now, I know it was extreme. But for me, there was an equality to the pandemic that we must not lose. And so as we as marketeers think about delivering things to our customers, we have to think about delivering them in a way that everybody can consume it. And doing an in-person event in San Francisco does not allow everybody to consume it. How are you going to run that content on-demand content for others to be able to access it. I'm not saying that in-person isn't great because I do think there is a power of face-to-face -face connection and it's a balance, but let's not forget 
the rest of the audiences that aren't able to either get budget or travel or, you know, they have kids, they have family members they're looking after. Let's make the content accessible to everybody. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think what you're outlining, first of all, is letting everyone lean in and then ultimately allowing them to choose what's most relevant to them is the other piece of that as well that came up earlier. So how do we balance though? Because you mentioned something in your reply, which was that you don't think that virtual is the be all end all, you know, it's not enough for everyone. So is it this idea of hybrid? And if, if so, what is hybrid? Because everyone throws around that term. Yeah. They love that term, but I haven't had someone really tell me how they're going to execute that. Well, there are events that happen that are so-called hybrid, right? Where you can be an in-person attendee, but you could also log on to an on-demand or a live session. That's great. I think if you have the ability, it's hard. That's really hard. Like broadcasting a live session online, there are so many different sound and visual quality issues that, that impair that. But I think it's about understanding the journey and what is needed at what point in the journey. I don't need to have a face-to-face -face with somebody if I want to just inform myself. And I don't want 20-minute videos. I want snapshot videos that are succinct to my pain points that I can consume. Now, as I go through the buy-in stage, I am likely going to want, you know, depending on the value I'm signing off, I'm going to want to speak to somebody. And maybe I want to go to an event and meet them. Maybe I want to see other customers. As you get into the end of that purchase decision, I think it becomes more valuable. We did some research that talked about, you know, how people want to consume video across the entire buyer's journey from building trust to purchase. And we were surprised that it was across the entire journey. But when you get to a certain decision point, I think you're going to want to have a conversation. What people are frustrated with is, when the classic sales follow-up happens after they filled one form in. Just because I've expressed interest in one piece of content doesn't mean that it's okay for you to call me and try and close me to a meeting. I want to consume multiple pieces of content and you should know what I've consumed and you should be serving me up the relevant piece. So that's why we talk about a video-first content strategy, knowing that you can capture and then look at when do you get people engaged? When is the point in the cycle and it's different for different sales, different products, different services, different personas. But really, when do you get somebody involved? It's almost like respect the individual. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I absolutely hate what you're talking about when I fill out a form, which I don't do that often, even to be very honest. But, you know, when I engage or I attend a webinar and all of a sudden I'm in this deep sales cycle that I haven't even put my hand up for. So could you give us a very specific example, whether it's someone on your team or one of the customers you've been able to work with, where you've seen a follow-up that is both respectful and engaging? So there are multiple examples when we look at what I call truly account-based marketing. So I could pick, and this is very interesting because I would even share this with my board. We're preparing for a board meeting right now. I could pick a prospect and I could show the journey of the prospect and I could show when the campaign was switched on, when different assets were changed in the campaign, the individuals we saw interacting with it, the different content we then served them up. And if this is the buying cycle, the sales engagement is about 60% in. And that's only when they request a certain piece of information or they say, contact me. 
and what's really interesting is we see the average deal sizes of those accounts where we're really being persona based and delivering message be much higher than anything that is more broad marketing reach. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, the, the more I trust a company, the more I think they understand me. It's no longer just about the solution. It's about the relationship. Yeah. Jennifer, this is fantastic. We are going to take one more pause here, bring you back for some questions that tie these two topics together around your career, around the buyer journey, right after this quick break. Off air, Jennifer and I were laughing a bit because each of our talk tracks are so aligned around this idea of relevant content and lining up what people are looking for. Now on the surface, you may say, does that mean we're competing with each other in market? No, actually, Brightcove and Uberflip work really well together. And I wanna just let you all know that because video content is no doubt more important these days than any other format in my opinion. HubSpot's got some great research on this. It just shows the rise of it versus other formats like eBooks and blog content. But it's just one format of content. And what we really need to be able to do is pull all varieties of content formats together in the most meaningful way possible. That's why Uberflip integrates with Brightcove. You can pull your content in as part of the hub content that you have to work with, tag it accordingly, and now it's part of that entire journey. So take a look both at Brightcove and at Uberflip and look at ways that you can put the right content in front of the right buyer at the right time. Jennifer, we have unpacked your journey and also the buyer journey. And one thing that you talked about a lot is the change, right? You talked about the change in terms of, you know, the type of leader you've had to become, the change in terms of what the pandemic's done to the buyer journey. I'm curious your perspective to what's changing for the next CMO. I mean, maybe it's someone on your team. Maybe it's someone aspiring to get to that level. What is the best path for that marketer? Is it more of a generalist role or is it to go really deep on a certain area? Product market understanding. That's how you deliver value to sales and the ability to create relationships, build relationships, build connections. Definitely ties back to to the beginning of our conversation today where you talked about having to shift from being this demand marketer to someone who understands the market. Uh, and you know, understanding product market fit is is so key there, without question. So we we ended up talking a lot about content, and you know, both at Brightcove and Uberflip, we talk about content all the time. Uh, what makes for great content in your mind? Tailored to the persona, or even the individual, delivered at the right time. I, I'm still amazed at the crappy content that I get sent. I mean, even with the wrong name on, like, come on, it's 2022 people, you know, that we've got the technology. So you've got to do the work and understanding the buyer before you can send content. I think that's so well put. What I love about your answer there is that you didn't necessarily say that every asset has to be built. It's more about sending the right assets and not messing up the context in which you send that, like the name. But talk to me about what personalization means in the world of video, because I think a lot of us get overwhelmed to say from an account-based perspective, does every video have to have my account's name in it? Like what is, what is personalized video look like in your mind? 
understanding their industry, their pain point, where they are as a company and being able to map messages to it. So, you know, okay, it's video, but video is different for different people, right? A retailer using video to sell something online in live e-commerce is very different than a technology company wanting to sell software. That is very different to a pharmaceutical company wanting to actually promote a drug. And how those use cases are very different. And you know, we have to know that. No, I, I think that's so well put. And, and I think that brings us back to the importance of tagging our content properly so that the rest of our organization can actually find that content. Now, my last question for you is maybe the hardest. It's uh, got nothing to do with the buyer journey. It's more tied to your own journey. As a busy CMO, how do you take time for yourself? How do you take time, whether that's you know for your own mental health, for family commitments? Where does that balance come in? There is no balance. It is a blend, I always say. There is no definition in my day between this is only work and then this becomes personal because my job doesn't work like that and my life doesn't work like that. So I blend it to know if I can get a run in early in the morning because I don't have a call till 10 a.m., that's better for me knowing that, you know, next week I could be away all week. So I think sometimes we beat ourselves up about needing this like dedicated we must be online from 8 a.m and for the sake of my health and the health of my my family it is a it is a blend it is definitely a blend and it's hard work it is hard work but when you love both you make it work that's awesome what are you listening to on those runs is it podcasts or is it i don't listen to anything on a run it, mainly because I'm either on a um, a Peloton class and somebody's screaming at me through the uh, through the video, or I'm outside and I like to be able to hear traffic and noises, if, especially if I'm running through a, a woodland or something. That's my relief, so I don't put music on. Great, great tips. I'm going to give you a tip of a great pair of headphones for those outdoor runs after we chat. I don't know the brand, otherwise I'd plug it, but uh, it's such a pleasure chatting with you, Jennifer. I think you you bring such perspective and such experience, as we said, over you know a decade now in this CMO role. Uh, and I think everyone can learn from every marketer. So if you're tuning in to hear Jennifer's episode for the first time, check out all the other amazing CMOs I've chatted with, over 100 now, and everyone's story is different. Yours is taking its own journey for sure. One day, hopefully, you'll be on here to share it. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 